All right, man. Hey, we did it. <laughs> we did. Um, I, yeah, uh, I, I can't tell you how, how excited I am actually to, to finally get to talk to you, man. It's, um, it's kind of wild. Absolutely, man. No, I appreciate it. And I appreciate your patience. Um, it yeah. is happening when it needs to happen. So I, I very much so believe in, in things happen where they're uh, meant to and where they're supposed to. So um, here we are. Tell me, tell me, tell me what it's like to be you these days. I mean, so, so the little I know about you is that you're born in Gaza. And uh, what, when did you leave Gaza? So I actually just... Uh, I grew up in Gaza, but I was born in uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, we'll get okay, to that in, in the descriptions. That's okay. That's all right. Most people, sorry. it's a new detail. Um, it's um, it's a rough, been a rough, rough few months, man. Uh, and and yeah. I'm usually somebody, I'm the kind of person where you can have, I can be having the worst day of my life. And you ask me, you know, the obligatory, oh, how are you? And I'll be like, oh, it's all good, man. You know, good deal. You know, whatever. Right. But, only in these last, you know, four months, um, now we're, we're in the fifth month, um, where it's like, I, I've honestly, like, it's been sadly, like, so physiologically and psychologically, just physically, so challenging on numerous levels that I haven't even got myself to, to do the obligatory, oh, I'm okay, you know, like, you know, I'm fine. Wow. But um, yeah, now, now, my, my, unfortunately, my days, now are, are characterized by a lot of um a lot of writing a lot of conversations with people with folks in gaza to make sure they're still alive with um reporters with uh allies with friends um a lot very poor quality sleep and and i mean generally speaking i don't i don't sleep well unfortunately but um that has what's been... on your mind like what what's what's keeping what's keeping your mind racing at night usually uh i would say it's threefold. Number one is wondering who's still alive and who's dead of my immediate and extended family in Gaza. Um, and I don't mean what is that? You know, it's like, well, it's like, because you just, I know places, you know, and I, I grew up in Gaza. I know a lot of corners in Gaza and a lot of landmarks. And, and when I see random alerts or reports or WhatsApp messages or yeah. even Jerusalem yeah. like, or Al Jazeera or whatever. Like they'll mention strikes near landmarks or strikes in areas or strikes in neighborhoods in Gaza. Now, you know, everybody's been displaced. A lot of the action is happening in the South. And so yeah. I just hear neighborhoods and I'm like, oh boy. And then I have to send the obligatory, all right, are you still around? Are you still here? And Fuck. some of them, like my, my brother has an Israeli SIM card. Um, so he yeah. has better communication than others. Others have just the Palestinian uh, mobile company, which still pulls from the Israeli um, uh, cellular grid, if you will. And so a lot of those folks, because of the blackout, both deliberate or just consequential, uh, mm -hmm. as a result of just the, 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 the circumstances, they don't respond for a day or two. Um, so it's like, it's a, and then two days later, I'll get a text and whatever, and then there'll be a new strike or a new event or a new situation. So it's like this never ending cycle for four Jesus. months now. I have my, uh, a lot of my immediate and extended family, both on my mom's side and my dad's side. Um, our family's from Gaza City. We, my parents were actually born. My parents and my grandparents were refugees from 48. They made it to Rafah. Um, and then my parents were born in Rafah in the, uh, the, the, the Shabura um, camp. And then 
they um, managed to, in, in the 70, late 70s and early 80s, to move to uh, Gaza City. And so our family grew up, uh, lived in Gaza. It's very common in a lot of um, Palestinian homes in Gaza to have like four or five stories or multiple stories. You know, there's not a lot of space. So you build up and each uncle, so like my grandma and grandpa were on the first floor and then each, my dad was one and my two other uncles all on top of each other. So it's Thanksgiving oh. every day. Wow, wow, wow. So, so I mean, really, you know, when Israel strikes and, and bombs a building and blows it to shit, it's not just, I mean, every house is, is really just a, you know, besides a, a physical structure, it's, it is just, it's a box of memories, right? It's, um, you know, you don't remember the places you lived in for the furniture. You remember the stuff that happened in it with other people. Precisely. And so, but, but, but with God, and I'm guessing this is typical, but every, every house, every building is like this, this museum of memories for several fa families all jam packed into one. Precisely. Wow. Precisely. Right. And wow. So our family home was struck on, on, on October 13th, Friday, October mm. 13th is when a strike in the Yarmouk neighborhood, um, in smack dab in central Gaza, this was before the ground operation took place. And so that was struck with the roughly 33 people were in the building. Uh, oh, wow. including my, my brother and his four kids and his wife, um, miraculously, most people survived. A lot of people got horrendous injuries, but, um, only my cousin's, uh, 13 year old daughter was killed. Um, my Farah, who is a twin, has an identical twin sister, Mara, her twin sister, my, uh, cousin. Um, Hamad and his wife were um, injured badly in this strike. My uncle Ibrahim, my dad. So this is all my dad's on my dad's side. All my uncles and cousins, immediate cousins or first cousins on my dad's side. Yeah. My brother and his 13-year-old son, Buad, um, they actually, and, and my brother has a 13-year-old Fuad, 11-year-old um, Kala, uh, two-year-old Maria and one-year-old, uh, Ahmed. Um, and so they, and his wife there, so they actually managed to push the, uh, part of the wall and the main door that collapsed with a strike. So they were lucky in that they immediately pushed their way out of the rubble and got out. They got banged up, a, you know, quite a bit, but you know, like very like, like scratches and, and hit, but like, in the grand scheme of things, they, they were very lightly injured. Um, and then my uncle Brahim and two other cousins were, were badly injured. And I immediately saw my brother immediately called, like called me, um, right outside of the house. Um, and it was, I'll, I'll never forget how, um, like I was trying to project strength. He was, his, his voice was very choppy. He was barely pulling it together, but, um, I was trying to project strength. And I just remember that, you know, you've heard people talk about it like that. Um, like your heart goes to your throat. I genuinely sincere. I've, I genuinely felt that. Um, but I was like, again, I was like, okay, well, I'm not gonna, I'm going to be his one source of strength. So I was like, okay, who's still in there. Can you account for so-and-so push the kids away? Like I, I went into mm. like this, like very organized operational, like rational like here's what you need to do blah blah yeah. blah blah blah. yeah and I, I don't know if he 
listen. I don't know if that was helpful. I don't know if he listened to it, but I, I just was so desperate to like be like, all right, here's what we're gonna do. Like put aside the emotions. I'm glad you're okay. And so um yeah, so that happened. And then unfortunately, a week later, um, on the 25th, my um and and it took uh, it took about six hours to get the rubble out to get this other uncle, Uncle Riyadh, who was 56, my dad's youngest brother, he was at the bottom of the building on the first floor. And he went to be with his in-laws um, over like a few, like basically half a block down. His in-laws lived very close in the same neighborhood. Okay. And on the 25th of October, a week later, a massive, we call him the fire belt, a massive airstrike came and basically destroyed the entire neighborhood and killed Uncle Riyadh, um, who survived wow. the initial bombing. Jesus. Um, and then sadly, on December 13th, this is now going to my jumping ahead of about a couple months later, a month and a half later to my mom's side, um, who is that she's uh, from the Shihada family. And she uh, her my dad's side, my my grandparents left from modern day Rehovot slash Ramla. Mm-hmm. And my mom's side, they were originally historically from uh, Hamama, which is modern day Ashkelon. And they are in Rafah and their home was struck where they and there was up to 50 people sheltering at the house because Rafah was a safe zone. Um, and a lot of my aunt Zainab, um, so those again, this is all on my mom's side, they opened up their home to a lot of people fleeing from different parts of Gaza because, you know, like there were not just not enough spaces. So yet, like my brother fled seven different times after them. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But wow. at one point he spent, he was in an apartment, his own apartment. He had like a second apartment in Khan Yunus, Khan, Khan Yunus in the South. is a two bedroom apartment and they had like 42 people in a two bedroom apartment. Holy um, shit. Yeah, it was, it was rough. It was rough, you know. But so this one had 50. This was a three-story home for where, you know, my, my, my uncles and, and my mom's side um, lived. But also there was like that an open kind of like area and, and what spared a lot of lives, I would say half of the people. Most of the people in the building, in the uh, building were killed on December 14th. It was a morning strike um, or wow. an afternoon strike rather. So I lost there i lost uh 28 family members and um the folks that were outside kind of like in the 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 backyard the side yards whatever some people had like little structures or tents or whatever most of those people survived even though um quite a few were injured but most anyone inside the structure with the exception of one two three four five people five people um in the structure survived uh two of them badly injured two lightly injured and then 20 um 28 were were killed so my brother muhammad was in khan yunus he went to rafah and spent three days pulling out you know working with my surviving cousin uh pulling out and the neighbors pulling out the bodies and the bits and pieces and wow. shredding pieces three children as three as, as as young as three and four months old and we decided we're not going to publish those photos because we want people to, we want our family to be remembered as whole beings and with their personalities. And, and we don't want them to be um, remembered or, or, or for, 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 you know, being just maimed, badly maimed. So, yeah, so yeah. that was a long winded way of saying 
like how my days are, but just specific to the component about the folks that survived. Um, yeah, it and is, and they're and they're people, right? They're not political objects. You know, it's each each one is its own story, its own life, its own you know wasted potential, right? That was destroyed in this in this war. So, and what's and the point? each with their own take on this whole situation and October 7th and the conflict and many yeah. were incredibly against Hamas and incredibly opposed to the sabotaging of, of Oslo and, and the whole armed resistance project. And, and, you know, like my uncle, uh, Yusuf Abdullah, Dr. Abdullah, who was killed in the strike, uh, on December 14th, he ran, mm -hmm. The Yusuf and Najjar Hospital, the main hospital in Gaza, he's a very, very, very prominent, well-known figure in the Rafah community. He rose mm. to prominence during the second. He's he was uh, he was sixty nine. He was almost seventy. He rose to prominence during the second Intifada um, for having saved thousands of lives of injured um, people during the second Intifada, both from bombardment, strikes, invasions, etc. So. He called it, you know, political. Uh, he 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 had he had um, a, a a famous saying in 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 Arabic. Um, well, a famous kind of phrase that he would always say, like the the uh, like political pimpery or pimping, describing how a lot of people use the Palestinian cause to their own mm. their own benefits. Um, and so that's what's so heartbreaking about this war is is it is absolutely, you know, killing people. I understand that the IDF has its own rules of engagement and like they don't theoretically, they don't just randomly shoot and kill people, but it is very much so. The end result is that people are indiscriminately losing their lives, even if it's supposedly during precise application of firepower through a targeting apparatus. And I, I studied military science, like I understand again, but like the way that IDF operates conceivably is that there are, are rules of engagement and there are, you know, like there's a whole chain in which a strike is both requested or it's, it's approved or, or it's implemented. Um, but I, I, I still, for the life of me, cannot understand why 31 family members of mine in two separate strikes, I should say three separate strikes, children as young as three and four months old um, lost their lives. And, and, and that's what I tell to a lot of folks, you know, I'm on Twitter and, and elsewhere and, and people are like, well, you're anti Hamas. And so therefore you should be supportive. Like I, I'm never gonna get behind a military operation, even if it gets rid of Hamas that literally wiped out half of my family. Like call that, I'm biased, I'm irrational. Like I just, yeah. I can't, like I, I, I'm, I, there's no way, even if I genuinely actually sincerely and wholeheartedly no longer want Hamas to hold Gazans hostages, no longer and want that's, their- And that's, I mean, it's, it's completely understandable. If, any, if anyone puts themselves in your shoes and I don't know, let's say it's some, I don't know, some, Let's say it's me, right? And I'm living in Israel, and the Nazis Hitler comes back from the dead, and um, he can be defeated, but it's it's at the cost of, you know, my, the, the lives of my three boys. I'm not so sure I'd be happy with that with that bargain, right? Um, and so, you know, you, you just 
extrapolate that to anyone else in the world, and like that's more or less what you're feeling. So I, I get what you're saying, right? And um, and it's 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 on the one hand, what it's it's humane, obviously, to to hear your story, and then and on the other hand, how else do you deal and confront with someone that is so that has such zero, such little regard for not 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 just Israeli life, Jewish life, but also the lives of your family, right, in Hamas. Certainly. Um, you know, I, I don't know why the Israelis struck the buildings that um, that your family was in. Do you, do you know if Hamas was in the area or, or do you so, know if there so, was some? Certainly. So let's just take the second one, right? The mm-hmm. second one in Rafah, it was in the Brazil neighborhood, which is very, like, 300 miles from the Philadelphia corridor along the borders with Egypt and Nam and, and Gaza. Mm-hmm. away from the ground operations, away from any documented launching sites, crowded with people from all over Gaza who mm-hmm. were there at the instructions of the IDF. Away from, I mean, like back in the day, there used to be smuggling sites just for like different smuggling operations when during the heyday of the of of of, of the, the tunnels before Egypt got rid of like ninety five percent of them or ninety eight percent of them. So like conceivably there may be remnants of those tunnels, but though they're they're of no military value because there was no ground operation. There's very limited smuggling of military um materials and those are believed to be in the southern part of the Philadelphia corridor kind of away from the Rafah border crossing, away from like the other areas. Um, And finally, I keep good tracks of like, I mean, over the years, like I've been out of Gaza since 2005. I left one month before the withdrawal and I've kept close, you know, tabs on, on, let's just say big picture stuff, right? And and to my knowledge, there was no one at that building that was operating for, for Hamas. But so let's pretend though, that there was a Hamas person nearby or somebody entered that building. Like yeah. I, 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 and, and we didn't have the IDF. I followed obviously like the IDF did not come out after that strike and say, we eliminated a senior Hamas military or like a, a key figure in Hamas that justifies yeah. the decision to basically strike a home knowing IDF intelligence and infrared sensor drug. You can tell that this building had had dozens of people in it. So, like, mm. I I don't see any level-headed scenario in which this was a justified airstrike. I I, I, yeah. I fail to see, and and even if it was, given the absence of clear confirmation that there was a high-level figure there that was worth killing all those babies and children, then if it was targeted because there was some kind of a nearby activity then it must have been just low-level crap that doesn't warrant and the idea of formally confirming, taking responsibility for the strike. So I, I, I genuinely don't see any re- legitimate reason for why this was done. And yeah. I'm sorry, but, but, but that leads me to being like, that is a war crime. I don't believe Israel is necessarily... I understand that there's difficult 
decisions to may, be made in war. I understand that there war is messy. I I studied war. I studied I studied urban warfare. I studied terrorism. I have a degree in intelligence and national security studies um, from a, a school that was all of my instructors were current and active military high ranking officers mm -hmm. in Iraq and Afghanistan and elsewhere. Like. I don't just approach this from this, from like a vacuous kind of like, you know, emotional space. And I have nothing, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Like I spent hours, hours, Kobe, like trying to think like what could have justified this. And I, I still cannot arrive at a reasonable conclusion. So, so same, same with the other um, house, uh, the first house, our, the house that I grew up in and that house, I even know more than the house in Rafah, even though both were my childhood homes. I grew up in Gaza, but that house in Rafah that was hit, that was my second home. I was there every weekend and I was playing with my cousins, all the video games. That's half of my English comes from like playing really <laughs> and learning the objectives. And like, I was, I was really good in English, um, partly because wow. of the video games. Um, so, so, so yeah, so that's, that's what I'm left with. It's like this impossible situation where yeah. I, genuinely and many in gaza um genuinely you know like don't want hamas to rule over them anymore and by the way like the other thing too is i mean and and, and you know there I've, I've said this and then there's somebody some i'm not gonna name them because i actually talked to but like there's some others who like multiple things can be true at once like like the yeah. long the way you can do this sustainably and that's where a lot of military advisors initially from the United States came in and said, you do a slightly more drawn out, you know, operation where you not just use precision through Apaches and through the, 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 the um, use of drones and through the use of intelligence, you draw out Hamas by applying a ton of firepower. They just, they disperse and they hide in their tunnels. But you find ways to draw them out and by not using overwhelming firepower, as at least was done in the first two and a half months of the war, mm. that it creates kind of a perception for Hamas that, that it almost like it makes it more doable for Hamas members to come out. And that's where you can do more precise targeting versus this just like, let's turn this into a Stalingrad. That's number one. Number two, and, and more importantly, and I really think this was one of the worst mistakes in this operation and in this assault, the war, is there wasn't the slightest, even though the IDF issued some warnings and told people to go some places and, and like, even though that happened, that isn't exactly the, like, the hearts and mind element of this campaign. From the beginning, I actually spoke to some, you know, leaders within the Jewish community here who had good relationships, mm -hmm. diplomatic relationships with Israel. And I said, why don't we develop a model whereby the IDF sets up humanitarian nodes in different areas where it operates, where people can, instead of just outsourcing the humanitarian affairs to UNRWA and the UN, like, and other Israelis I talked to agreed with this, like the IDF itself can be a partner in, in not only providing humanitarian aid and assistance to people and winning hearts and minds, which can also help you can access intelligence. You can like normalize interacting with the population from mm -hmm. which you historically, unlike in the West Bank, you've historically had like very clear separation between the Gaza population and the Israelis. So 
I said, let's set up humanitarian nodes and also like, let's articulate something that replaces Hamas. It doesn't mean that Israel, I wasn't saying Israel installed a new government, but, but by this insistence on no Palestinian authority, no, like, like, like the, the, there was a failure to articulate a vision for what are we going to do once we go in an area and we clear it and we pull out, how are we going to make sure that Hamas doesn't come back in like the Taliban did in Afghanistan for years and years? They, the U.S. Yeah. would militarily go in and clear the area. And then a week later, the Taliban would come in, in a variety of forms. It's like that's what's so frustrating for me is, is about the conduct of this war. And, and you listen, I listen to hours of General David Petraeus, who is an expert. I mean, if anybody has fought urban warfare in recent times and a counterinsurgency, and he said his famous sentence, and I actually used it in one of my pieces, he said at the central command uh, 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 building where they were, the, 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 their operations room, they had this big sign saying, is the conduct of your the military operation going to remove, is the operation going to remove more bad guys off the street than it creates by the conduct, by its conduct. You've got to make sure the answer is always a yes. And, and again, I get like, whether it was Israel or any other nation would have had to respond to this attack. What happened on October 7th was a horrendous event of epic proportions. And I still think that there were numerous alternatives that could have been exercised, but the war was fought with a political will rather than a political agenda rather than with with detailed military strategy so i tend to view this um differently i think than, than most people so i don't actually view this conflict as a war of bullets and bombs although it is that and i don't tend to view it as a political conflict as well although it is that too but uh, fundamentally this is a a war of ideas and and their consequences. And if you just take, for example, Hamas, right, which purports itself, it claims to be this Islamic movement, but it violates some of the tenets of Islam while it, while it does so anyway. So it claims that for itself, and yet it doesn't really act in that fashion and uses force, which is already, which is telling, right, to, to um, what, to, it just it it it, um, it uses force to what to cement its rule over you know a captive population that, that can't speak up. And you've written written about this uh, in your Atlantic article, right? That now people are silencing their mouths because they know that Hamas is coming back, right? Um, you know the, the and the lies that they tell and and the contempt that Hamas and the leadership has for just human life. Period. Mm -hmm. I mean, all all this has consequences, right? All. Yeah, think about back to it. Um, and I, you know, I, this is why I love you. What you're doing because you are different. You are a, you are you are you're speaking common sense. You're you're more rational. You are more grounded in in what works and what doesn't and hatred of you know ostensibly jewish people but even just in general life itself right we love death more than the jews love life mm -hmm. this is this is not going to get you anywhere productive it's it's and 
we are seeing the consequences of exactly that kind of ideology and that kind of thinking right now. <laughs> and, and I do feel, and I'd love to know what your thoughts about this are, but I do feel that um, the leadership of the Palestinian national movement from the beginning has failed its people because it's, it seems to be the, whatever leadership, um, whatever the leadership has put forward, it's, it's always been resentment based. You know, the, the Zionists can't live here. This is our land. Um, yeah, there's just no, there's, there's no acknowledgement at all of, of any sort of Jewish history to the place. And it's, it's, it's stuck in that mode. Right. Um, and go ahead. I think a good way to think about just this very last point, like the leadership. Yeah. And, and, and that is something I was, I was talking to someone about recently, but, but let's, let's put it this way just stepping back from Hamas a little bit and like looking like the big picture thing. Between 1948 and 1967, when Jordan had the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, there were no settlements and Egypt had Gaza. Mm -hmm. Why wasn't a Palestinian state established on the, in the West Bank and Gaza? Like, like I genuinely think that the, his, the Palestinian people between pan-Arabism and then the PL, secular PLO kind of Palestinian national leadership, and then the Islamism that Hamas has brought upon them. You have like three yeah. kind of distinct chapters in failed Arab and Palestinian leadership. Mm -hmm. That, like, why aren't, like, we fail so miserably at, at genuinely assessing our own role and taking, taking like, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in personal responsibility, being ruthlessly self-critical mm -hmm. and deciding who you want to be independent of just what the Israelis are doing to us just because we're a victim. We are perpetual victims. I get it. But we're also victims of not just the inju historical injustices, not just the Israeli occupation, but also of failed leadership of the pan-Arabist movement of the Islamist garbage that has brought, you know, Hamas in out of the, the, and we can talk later about how evidence absolutely shows that Hamas was directly and indirectly allowed to fester and grow to create this like counterbalance to the secular yeah. Palestinian movement um, yeah. in, a, in a 3D chess. But what I will hear from a lot of people immediately is they'll tell me, well, Ahmed, you can't, you know, our people are, are, are just trying to survive daily. Our people are struggling and it's really hard to engage in that kind of soul searching and in, in that kind of like right. ruthless feed kind of assessment. And that's why it's incumbent upon people like myself, people who have privilege, people who have safety, like, like I privilege okay i'm safe i'm not apologetic about the fact tomorrow i'm celebrating my 10th anniversary of becoming a united states citizen congratulations um, man thank you thank you Habibi. so like i i get that unfortunately a lot of palestinians have a hard time because of just they're stuck in their daily lived experience but where the palestinian leadership fails is instead of kind of inspiring a new strain of thought, a new mode, MO, a new approach, a new vision. Instead, yeah. they take 
those public sentiments and they amplify them and they use them and they manipulate them and they further inflame them instead of inspiring something new and say, hey, wake up. There's no from the river to the sea, guys. Okay, I'm sorry. The right of return, as we have been propagating it, is not going to happen. Yes, there needs to be an assessment and an agreement upon, you know, some form of compensation, some form of this or that. But Palestinians should come back to their state in the West Bank and in Gaza. They're not going to go back to the historic their historic lands. And how do we, you know, it's going to be unpopular. It's going to be heartbreaking for some people, like to wake up from what they've been told for decades and decades and, and to be thinking that resistance, like, like I believe in resistance. I support resistance. I don't, nonviolent resistance. I don't believe in mm -hmm. armed resistance. I think it's not only immoral and wrong in a lot of the ways that it has been carried out. But it's stunningly ineffective. I mean, even like you look at like some some people are like, well, why is it you look at the West Bank and like we need resistance because we're nonviolent. Well, actually, look at Janine. I mean, I remember I was in Gaza when Janine happened in 2002, the big operation. And and here we are, like, you know, 20 years later. And like, look at all the like activities that the militancy in Janine. And like, has that liberated anything? Has that fundamentally challenge the Israeli military. Mm -hmm. Has that made the Israeli military less likely to invade Jenin or Nablus or Tolkarm? No. So I, so I believe in resistance. But the problem isn't just what is the goal of resistance. Uh, sorry, sorry. What, is the, what are the means for resistance? But more importantly, what is the goal? Right. Is the goal, like, like the goal shouldn't be that we're going to have the right of return so that we go back to Yaffa and Akka and whatever. I think I would love to get to a place where Palestinians and, and Israelis alike can mutually travel and exchange and Palestinians can go and work in Yaffa if it works out and live in Yaffa if they have friends or family or partners or whatever. But like, or, I can, or we can grab a beer in Gaza, man. Exactly, exactly. You know, but like, I, I would love to see that happen. I really would. And we need to be realistic. Those the, the 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 Palestinian refugees in Lebanon and Syria and and Jordan who've been put in second class ghettos who have been sold kind of this this delusion that we're keeping you miserable we're treating you like garbage because don't worry we're doing it for your own good that's the pan Arabist garbage we're doing it for your own good so that you can have the right of return like like wake up like we need leadership that comes to our folks and says all right. We want to build Gaza and the West Bank so that those refugees not only have a home that they can come back to, but so that they actually want to live in a Palestinian state, number one, or number two. And that's part of the like the comp compensation, if you will, like whether it be Israel helps build with some of the costs in building cities inside the Palestinian territories for refugees or Israel works out deals with Arab countries to help integrate some of those folks into their, their, yeah. their societies. Like that's yeah. what, I, what leadership needs to do instead of perpetuating this, like this, this, the, the, these dream, not just dreams, these delusions. Um, and I'm just well, talking specifically about, about the, the, the right of return. Take Jerusalem, for example, and I get it. I, I believe in East Jerusalem as the capital for a Palestinian state. And I also believe that even with Jerusalem as the capital for a Palestinian state, there needs to be space for Jewish holy worship and presence in the holy sites. Like, like, like 
denying that there was a, a, a temple and, and, and the Temple Mount or, and obviously I'm not, I'm, I'm focusing on the Palestinian side. Obviously I have my own critiques of the extreme Zionists and on the right wings and the militants and the, those who don't believe Palestinians exist, those who want to tear down the Aqsa Mosque. Like, like, obviously I have my own issues with those. And like, we can get to that in a second, but mm-hmm. where I kind of my lane, if you will, and, 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 and is a desperate desire to get our folks to, to move forward with something that not just only realistic and works, but that will genuinely improve our lives and give us a better shot at being a people and having a state. And also like, not just having a state, because I want to have a state that descends into civil war overnight, you know, like Sudan, South Sudan became a state in 2011. And in 2013, they started having a massive civil war from which they essentially never recovered. It's like, yeah. that would be like the state of Palestine right now, if we don't, as a people, start to genuinely focus on who we are, what is our resistance, the world is moving on, the Arabs are moving on, no one is going to keep footing the bill for endless, you know, um, aid to the Palestinian Authority or to the or to UNRWA or to rebuilding Gaza. And I actually like just to and I know you probably have a ton of questions, but like, just to conclude this piece, I genuinely think that, and this is part of why I'm so passionate and so fired up and so angry and so frustrated. So all of the above emotions, I think the situation in Gaza actually, sadly, out of all the death and misery and horrors and the losses and and just undescribable suffering gives us a rare opportunity to to do what we should have done years ago, which is to have Gaza become the kind of beating heart of a future Palestinian state, have Gaza Mm. become a hub of Palestinian art and culture and economic development. And it it can have a seaport, it overlooks the Mediterranean. It can have an airport like it once did. I flew into Gaza's short-lived airport twice in the late 90s and 2000. And I ran a nonprofit in the US to try to build an, an airport in Gaza different than what was destroyed. An IDF approved, an internationally run, uh, Hamas no-go, no-control uh, airport. We, can, we have a gas field right by Gaza that can be used to fuel, to become an economic engine and, and even support the West Bank. Um, we have, even within the confines of, of, of the space, Gaza has immensely valuable farmland that can be developed and, and, and used sustainably. Like, that's what I am desperately hoping for. Um, and I have several pieces in the works about that. And somebody recently wrote an interesting piece, uh, 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 Jerome Siegel in foreign mm-hmm. policy. It was um, like, he's talking about like Gaza first, like, okay, like fine, the US and the UK want to recognize the Palestinian state, which I, I support as a framework and as, as something to empower the diplomatic nonviolent track. But using Gaza as like a Gaza first model to show that Palestinian sovereignty in a in a well-defined period can work. I believe we can do it. The Palestinian people are smart. If we remove nefarious players like Hamas from, from the picture and we get realistic, pragmatic leaders, we can have Gaza become a role model for why the West Bank would also work. I mean, and, and I'll, I'll really conclude with this just on this point. I was talking to someone, you know, the other day and I was like, look, man, I study propaganda and how it works. Like I think Israel, a lot of its propaganda is really just, just even if you want to be pro-Israel, like they need a lot of work on propaganda. That said, 
like that, that is just my god it's atrocious i swear even though like the israelis are some of the smartest people on the planet media and the other it's like oh my god like if you just you get some consultants that said what i said to this guy what i said to this guy i was like wait but you know the jews control the media come on man i, I know right you guys well you guys are doing a terrible you control it but not the messaging it's just all the money right the the well, yeah, no, I don't believe that Jews control the media. Audience, please, please don't come. <laughs> Jews are my friends. Anyway, oh, yeah. I said to this guy, I was like, actually, like, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Yes, we, like, Israel repositioned troops outside of Gaza. Like, I get it. Like, elements of the occupation continued after 2005. Fine. That said, we still had an opportunity. Gaza went, was vacated to govern responsibly, like, and I'm sorry, but even though I think there's elements of propaganda and the Israeli claim that like we fully left Gaza and like we turned it over, there's truth to the fact that yes, like, like, are they wrong in saying we left Gaza? Not wrong in, in the claim that they fully left Gaza, but are they wrong in the claim that we left Gaza and it became a, an, terror infrastructure that has targeted Israelis and and that this would be replicated in the West Bank. Like, we didn't do a good job of disarming that argument. We didn't do a good job of demonstrating our talents and our capabilities in being effective governors. And Hamas wanted to have its cake and eat it too. Anytime Hamas in its current iteration demands the end of the blockade on Gaza, that is the most ridiculous statement. I don't want the blockade. I wrote about how folks suffered from it. Like, but you can't publicly say you want to turn Gaza into a rocket or a resistance citadel and, and you want to smuggle weapons and you want to do October 7th again and not yeah. expect there to be consequences, whether it was Israel or Egypt or Saudi Arabia or the United, any country in the world would have responded in this way. People listen to what I'm saying, and I swear to God, they they have aneurysm. They're like, you Zionist bootlicker, you Hasbara agent, you you sellout traitor, Mossad, ACI. But I swear, right. like, I, I genuinely say this as somebody who is truly pro-Palestine and wants to see his people emancipated and liberated and wants to see a Palestinian state. You cannot... Like openly and 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 boastfully say, I'm gonna launch all of these attacks, and Gaza's gonna be a hub of citadel and a, and a castle, and not expect there to be a blockade. So, so that's why we we were where we're at. Like so so we need to actually basically undo 17, 18 years of this garbage that Hamas brought upon us to have a shot at turning Gaza into a model. I I loved every second of that very long rant you just uh, went on. I mean, <clears throat> so a couple things that I want to pick up on. So for one, you said that leadership, that poor leadership, right? And and they're saying that we are subjugating you folks, and it's for your own good. <clears throat> and then you said this dovetails with with the last thing you said that the pro-Palestine types hate what you say, which is like, no, if you were truly pro-Palestinian. You know, if you, you would want these monsters as far away from the from the from the wheels of power as possible, this is not good for anybody. For, forget Israel. This is not good for Palestinians. Period. No, who would want to live under these people, right? And it's not like 
it's not like there's um, evidence, a lack of evidence to show for it, right? As you said, 2005, uh, 2006, Israel pulls out, Hamas over shortly thereafter, and the economy shrinks, you've got blockades, you've got wars every single, I don't know, every few years. It's a, dis- it's a disaster. Absolutely. Right? And, and, Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, pal- the, the um, Palestinian national movement sort of builds, is kind of built around the Nakba of 48, right, which was the catastrophe. But the ongoing catastrophe, as far as I'm concerned, is this failure of leadership that has been going on for decades now. And this obsession with the Jews did this or the Jews did that, where, as, as you say, as you rightly point out, if, if you just focus on improving yourself on the individual level, on the community level, on the national level, and frankly, on the species, on the level of the species, you, 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 you would be, what, what do you, what do you, what do you mean by humanity, that? I, humanity. I can right? see that I, being taken in, 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 in the wrong way. No, but, as people, right? As people, right? Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. You know, nations nations can cooperate, right? And people can have goals that benefit for all, all of humanity, right? I mean, like, for example, like Elon Musk, for example, right? With SpaceX, just just one example. But there are plenty of people who, who think all, along these grand terms, right? And you, you can have this, uh, you, you know, you, you said, for example, that Palestinians didn't uh, show their potential but they kind of did like you know for example and this is something that i i find so incredible that uh hamas was able to build these unbelievably sophisticated and extensive mm-hmm. underground tunnels mm-hmm. as far mm-hmm. as i'm concerned that's a that's a that's a human that's achievement. A feat. I mean, I, absolutely yeah. a feat of that's, engineering and perseverance exactly exactly and uh, you know it, it's probably unprecedented i don't think it's ever been done before in human history more so than the Viet Cong in vietnam even like the right. intricacy of, of these structures. Or you saw the base under UNRWA's uh, headquarters yesterday. Yeah, super sophisticated stuff. And as you said, under extreme duress, right? Being blockaded, you have to get around the global financial system. You know, not easy, right? And, and then you've got, obviously, you have to smuggle stuff in from Egypt. Like it's, it's you know, the amount that these people accomplished under such conditions, it's, if it weren't for such evil um, purposes, it would be completely laudable. I mean, in fact, hey, celebrated even. Absolutely. And, and and that's the difference, right? It's it's that intent. It's the it's the ideas that are animating these behaviors that makes literally from what you say, right, to ma- making Gaza this pearl of the Middle East, the Singapore, whatever you know that that's been been bandied about for so long, versus the hellhole that it now is. Right. Absolutely. It's lit- Absolutely. It's th- that is literally the difference between heaven, which is what you described, and the hell that's the hellscape that it is right now. And people have to needlessly die because of shitty ideas uh, propagated by shitty people um, through force and force alone. Because it's, it's not like these ideas are convincing, as you said, right? Your family is anti Hamas. And I'm actually curious. I mean, t- tell me more about that. What, what, well, just real quick, like, it, yes, that's what you, what I, what I was saying is like, we want to do resistance, but to what end? Like, what is the end goal of resistance? Like, right. what Hamas has been doing has been the most futile garbage resistance project I've ever seen. Hamas yeah. thinks, what I, I will say, like, they're successful in one thing, hmm. which is goading Israel into an overwhelming response that kills so many civilians. 
that feeds into the delegitimization of Israel and, mm. and often succeeds in, in turning the global audiences against Israel. So like, yeah, like they sure. may be evil, but they're not, they're not stupid in their strategy. But and, never, and the other I thing, would never, never, ever call them stupid. They're very, exactly. very smart. Yeah. Exactly. And the other thing too is, and I mean, and I know that like some people will say like, you know, this idea of like the same, I mean, I, 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 it's like show don't tell. I believe in this idea of the Singapore of the Middle East, but like I also don't necessarily. It doesn't matter whether it be the Singapore or not. Just an immensely developed place sure. that has have so much that has so much potential. What country overlooks the Mediterranean and doesn't have a seaport? For goodness' sake, you know. Mm. So 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 going back to the thing about like Hamas and my family and my folks and whatever. Like so, whether it be taking my, my like my family or others let's just talk about guys so i wanted to use kind of a shitty analogy if you will thinking of an onion in terms of describing support for hamas and opposition for hamas so let's start with the support for hamas and think of it again as an onion with its core that you always okay. pit out and and you know there will all there's ideological support there will always be ideological supporters of hamas in gaza in the west bank in the diaspora it doesn't matter those are Basically, I'm going to call them the irredeemables in terms of they believe in the Islamism. They believe in the violent resistance. They just see no other way. And, and also, like, it's almost a grift upon which their whole existence relies and depends. Mm. Uh, um, so there's ideological support for Hamas. Then there's, like, different layers and tiers of members and membership, patrons and affiliates. And those are people that interact with different elements. You have Hamas, the social group, Hamas, the political group, Hamas, the military group, and then Hamas, the government. Think of it like as a, as a, a oh, well, actually think of it as a square in each, some corners, obviously the military wing corner is the most powerful and the most consequential. And then there's mm -hmm. the political component. And then there's the government, Hamas just administratively running Gaza. And then to a lesser extent here, you have Hamas, the social services, the the aid, the, the like, you know, giving people monthly stipends or whatever. But each one of these has bred over the decades of Hamas's existence, the three decades, different tiers of people who support the group because they derive a whole host of benefits from, 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 from engaging um, with it and, and, and being a part of its program. And then you have beyond those, those, those folks, you have supporters of resistance as a broader muqawma. That's the broad word. But they may actually not like Hamas, but they like the fact that Hamas engages in acts of resistance. And so Hamas, through its brilliant manipulation, it basically made itself synonymous linguistically from an, Arabi, from an Arabic point of view, like just linguistically synonymous with resistance, like you, you, you say Muqarama, it basically means Hamas. And so by positioning itself linguistically and, and politically and otherwise as the, 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 like, the flag bearer, if you will, of resistance, it has attracted a whole host of supporters, not just in Gaza and, the, and certainly in the West Bank, but even mm -hmm. now we're seeing in like the Western world. Um, and, 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 yeah. and a lot of like the Hamas apologists, I wrote about this in Newsweek that became Hamas enthusiasts. Um, 
And then finally, you have a casual tier of people that basically, and you have those in every society that will follow whoever's in charge, as long as, you know, like they, these are the people that don't think critically, or they don't want to think critically, or they are ignorant, or they don't have access to like alternative sources or information, or they are just so simplistic. I mean, look at our country here in the United States and some of those dynamics. <laughs> But, but, but so, so, so that's in terms of like the support. And again, my intention isn't to minimize the amount of support that Hamas has. I'm just saying that some of it is ideological. Some of it is political. Some of it is beneficial and, 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 and literally just people getting salaries or somebody wants a job or kind of think of the Saddam's Ba'athist regime before 2003. It was the only game in town. And if you wanted a job with the government, you had to play ball or you had to be a member, you had to kiss up to people. So Hamas has mastered this kind of umbrella, this network of patronage and members and supporters, such that even people that may not be ideologically motivated by its message, they will express support to its garbage and its project and make the world seem, make the world think that, you know, Hamas is, is, is this representative organization. But tell me, I mean, part part of this, I think, because you do have to convince people that um, of your of your utility. So, I think I think I even read you say that um, Al Jazeera in Arabic is basically just Hamas propaganda, right? It's not it's not telling. Despite the fact that uh, people living in Gaza are seeing their, you know, are seeing their their what their neighborhoods, every their entire world being destroyed. Um, the uh, the broader Arab world isn't isn't seeing the same picture, um, but is that is that changing? I mean, I remember in the in the beginning, I think it was um, Al Arabi, right? That's the Saudi channel. Al Arabiya, Al Arabiya. Yeah, 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 exactly. Sorry, sorry about that. And um, and I do remember, I do remember that um, in the beginning of the war, there were some journalists who were actually asking tough questions and to the, to the Hamas leadership. And actually, yeah. And I actually remember them thinking like, wait, this isn't the way it's supposed to go. You're supposed to, you're supposed to just help me. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. I know the reporters and yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was brilliant because they're like, wait, no, we have the game rigged. Why are you changing the rules on us? Um, but, but is that, do you, do you still see that, uh, is, 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 uh, Al Jazeera still in Arabic, just broadcasting a bunch of nonsense or. Well, I, I want to say something again, I am ruthlessly fair, even if it means sharing inconvenient truths. I think Al Jazeera yeah. engages in awful pro Hamas propaganda at mm -hmm. the same time, mm -hmm. they're absolutely capable amongst the propaganda. There's actual real news. So like, mm -hmm. I just want to give credit to, like, it's a big organization. There are a lot of like, yes, there's an editorial tone. There's an editor. And I'm talking about the Arabic one. The English side, I think, largely runs a professional operation. But just going back right. to the Arabic side, which is fairly <laughs> aligned with Hamas and representative of Qatar's kind of like desperation to try to like play this double game of, of but also like part of Qatar's leverage is having like, the only line to Hamas that the world, the Western world and the Israelis can talk to. Like the U.S. and Israel aren't going to talk to Hamas through Iran. They're going to talk to Hamas through Qatar, right? right so like, right. they view that role as incredibly, you know, important. 
and we just renewed a 10-year lease on the Al Udaid Air Base, which is one of the biggest in, in the Middle East. So like, mm. they're also like relying on U.S. protection, basically, to keep them in the game and, and to keep their mm. wealth going. So, But just recognizing, again, Al Jazeera is capable of sharing real stories because they have money, they have the network. Like, for example, I shared today an example of a woman and her child being shot by IDF troops. And I said, why? Why the fuck is that happening? Why are you not letting people rescue them? And immediately the Hasbara folks are like, ah, Al Jazeera is this, Al Jazeera is that. But this is just a citizen that took the video and gave it to Al Jazeera and Al Jazeera happened to air it. Like, like that nuance is important. That right. said, I have absolutely observed, like just in every day I, I listen to Al Jazeera because they, they are an important, so you have to listen to them. Or any real analyst, Arabic-speaking analyst, is going to have to listen to Al Jazeera, love it or hate it. And then you have to separate out the propaganda from the news. Yeah. Just in the looking on, on YouTube, I look at it on my phone, you see the dwindling numbers. Like at the beginning, Al Jazeera would have like three, 400,000. Well, actually, at their height, the highest number I ever saw was 352,000 concurrent live views on, on their feed and, and YouTube. And at okay. nighttime... A nighttime, our time, which is morning over in Gaza or the Middle East, generally, you know, like yeah. time zones are like two hours yeah, apart. Yeah. So, um, our, our time zone is 10 hours, we're 10 hours behind, but within the Middle East, the broader Middle East, there's like a two hour mm -hmm. difference. So, our mm -hmm. nights here are early mornings, that is what I was trying mm -hmm. to say. Um, now I see like at nighttime, I used to see like maybe. 80 to 100,000 concurrent views. And right now at nighttime, I see like 28,000 views. Meaning Why like, is that? It's not yeah. just war fatigue. I have seen numerous people on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram and on other sources. Like Hamas starts its broadcast half of the time with Al Qassam Brigade shows a video of them shooting an RPG in an Israeli tank. The Al Quds brigades of the Islamic Jihad, and they'll show a guy like shooting like five mortar like shells, and like that's literally the opening. They want to show that the resistance is continuing and it's happening, even though Hamas has largely been decimated. They hardly shoot any rockets. They still do have dispersed cells. They've ditched command, centralized command and control. Yeah. I thought like people in Gaza are like, and people in in the in in in, in Gazans in the diaspora that I talk to and I see in spaces, they're like, "What is wrong with this garbage? Like we are being annihilated. We are being like wiped out, and these fools are trying to create this. You know, they have this Faiz Dwiri guy, this this military analyst, retired Jordanian general." And they're trying to show the Palestinian resistance as if it's this like incredible, you know, like as if they're like these powerful almighty folks that are still, you know, harming the Israeli military, even though it's like yeah. what, you know, like four months later, only 250 something Israeli troops were killed versus like 10,000 Hamas fighters and, and like, you know, probably another 25,000 Gazans. Like it's garbage. People are waking up. People are like, Show the destruction, show our loss of life, show the protests that went up against Hamas and Hamas later repressed. Mm. Show the theft of aid, show the hunger 
of Gazans. Al Jazeera never, they'll tell you about like some aid problems, but they don't want to show Gazans in like aid food lines, you know, like being desperate and saying, on Hamas. is an Arabic kind of prayer, an Islamic prayer that says basically make ultimately basically means seeking godly vengeance on those responsible. Um, oh, wow. And it's it, they regularly referring to Hamas for having brought this upon them. And so Gazans in droves, when they express in bursts here and there into Hamas sentiments, Al Jazeera specifically suppresses that. There are like three at least separate clips that I have and I've shared and others have shared. Like, there's a, you know, this is from months ago. We're like, an Al Jazeera dude is in a hospital and there's a battered man who just was pulled out of the rubble, an old man. And he's like, why are the resistance hiding between us? You know, this is not resistance. They're getting us all killed. And the Al Jazeera man immediately cuts off like the camera away from him. Or there's like another, <laughs> like there's another guy who was like, Hasbi Allah and Amal Wakil on Turkey and Qatar. And the Al Jazeera man is like, well, you know, like, so... Yeah, people are waking up to that. Um, but 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 I don't think, unfortunately, sadly, I will tell you, partly due to Al Jazeera, partly due to brainwashing, partly due to ignorance, Hamas's propaganda has succeeded in large parts of the Arab world, maybe the Muslim world, which is not a monolith, in communicating this garbage narrative that this is legitimate resistance. We didn't kill denialism in the same way that a lot of Hasbara people deny that Gazans are being, innocent people are being killed. The right. pro-Hamas garbage and the Islamists are propagating that, oh, no, 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 we didn't rape, we didn't behead, we didn't, even though I saw the videos myself, okay? Like, I saw them, like, I saw that stuff really? in my eyes. Um, yeah, and I saw, like, I never, man, in a million years, Kobe, I never thought, not that I was for violence ever before, but I never thought that resistance, Palestinian resistance, would ever be affiliated with such, like, burning of people, burning of buildings when people in, are in it, opening up a shelter door and throwing a grenade and just having a bunch of people killed, beheadings, straight-up executions of women and, and men and Thai migrant workers and African migrant workers shooting and killing of Muslims, Arab, Isra Arab Israelis and, and Bedouins. Yeah. They held a hostage and her brother, a 17-year-old woman who was wearing the hijab the whole time. Like that alone should be adequate for, 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 for getting people to question like, all right, like really, like you're going to hold a hijabi Muslim woman? How about the fact, or, 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 or what I tell people, um, you know, another one, the fact that Hamas played into the 3D chess of Netanyahu, and, and you're welcome to disagree with me, that's fine. You don't have to agree with me, but I stand wholeheartedly in the belief that is documented, well, well articulated out in the open, that Netanyahu thought he could play 3D chess with the Palestinians and keep them divided, and that's why Hamas, he didn't literally, like, go there and say, here, Hamas, like, here's the money. But he allowed Hamas to 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 fester and, and to take control of Gaza. Yep. So that alone should delegitimize Hamas because it basically served anti-Palestinian right-wing interests in Israel to keep the Palestinians divided. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, although, of course, that backfired, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Massively. Like, spectacularly and horribly and viciously. Yeah. This, this is, again, why I think, you know, moral clarity is uh, paramount because if you, if you play these games with people that have just horrible intentions, it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what nationality, skin color, it, it doesn't matter. It's the ideas that matter. You're going to get burned and you're just, people are going to die needlessly. And it's, it's, it's just very sad. It's tragic. Um, uh, so, okay. So, I mean, I, I texted you and I said, uh, if you want, like, as if you and I were in charge of things, right? And it's tricky, right? Uh, you know, I, so I said, let, let's negotiate a ceasefire for this war. And, um, you know, so I think it's pretty clear right now that you and I share so much in common and we want, we basically want the same things, right? I mean, I don't, I don't see much daylight between you and I, which is awesome. And it's refreshing. Um, and, and, and I'm actually curious why that is. Um, you know, does it, is it something that you and I both spent quite a lot of time in America and maybe America shaped us because, you know, you and we, we both place an emphasis on individual responsibility and individual growth. Uh, and we, and I think we both reject victimhood, which are just sort of core tenets of American life, right? I mean, America was built to maximize the life of every individual. So I'm wondering if it, maybe that's where we, we share our common ground. Well, because in and, Palestinian society, it's all about the group, a lot of Arab and Muslim societies, right? It's very mm -hmm. collectivist societies. And, and there's so much emphasis on the group. In the United States, there's a lot of sometimes even to an unhealthy extent, emphasis on the individualism. Yeah. And so striking that balance. But I absolutely think the United States, I mean, I lived in Saudi Arabia a small part of my life. And I, I, and I remember it very, very well. And I look at people in other societies, even in Europe, man, like I've, I have a brother who's in Germany and he's, mm -hmm. he's, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's about to be a neurosurgeon there. But, you know, it's like the United States probably enabled me to step, but not probably, definitely enabled me to just step back from this, take ideas that I already had as Ahmed. And this is where I want to kind of like offer a, a sentiment, a hopeful sentiment. There's not, there's Ahmed here. I've never spoken on behalf of anyone else. I only speak for myself and I take a lot of pride in that. I've never claimed to be speaking on behalf of this group or the pro-Palestine people or the Palestinian people. But I promise you, there are hundreds of thousands of Ahmeds who don't have the privilege that I've had of stepping away from this, who don't have the good mentors that I've had who don't have the educational attainment and opportunities, who don't have just the ability to step away from the, the, the shit zone, not just from the Israeli occupation and the military incursions and this, but also from kind of like this closed off societal mindset that as part of its survival, it's like, here we are, we're the group, we have to rally around this, we have to rally around this cause and you can't challenge it and there's little room for maneuvering outside of these. I, I attribute my privilege my mindset rather to that privilege and i'm 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 yeah. a good beneficiary of it but and also you don't have a gun to your head telling you don't don't dissent from the group right 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 so so that helps but but that's what i'm saying like if we create the conditions and the circumstances not replicating the united states there's nothing like the united states but 
just enough of a difference, I promise you that not all, that, 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 that there will be many, many, many more Ahmeds who start actually unleashing that brilliance and creativity outside the confines and the shackles of, 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 of war and Islamism and a closed off society. But more importantly, and, and by the way, the Palestinians are the most educated people in the Middle East, statistically, they're the most educated mm. of the Arab population. Like we have incredibly smart, capable people, including sure. like you noted, the very people that created that engineering marvel underground. Imagine if that was repurposed. But right. what I also wanna say, it's, it's important um, to keep in mind that the things that I speak, the way that I talk, the, the, the topics that I highlight, those sentiments that I share are absolutely held by numerous people in Gaza, in the West Bank, in the diaspora, but for a variety of reasons, they can't express them. So, so I just want to say, like, while I'm speaking on my behalf, the sentiments that I share are absolutely widely and broadly held in different iterations by so what do you people. make of those what do you make of those polls that show you know large amount of support for Hamas in the West Bank and less so in Gaza but still quite quite a significant amount well and I've, I've written about this you know like what what guides my response isn't I'm not trying to create dissent where none exists that's not my intention however mm -hmm. I've spoken about just Forget the sample size, which is just woefully small. And I know in mm. statistics, we're supposed to take the sample as representative, blah, 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 hogwash. You can't talk to 270 people in Gaza who express certain views and tell me that that represents Gaza. In November, in the southern part of Gaza, before the war expanded there, I don't accept that for, an, for a second. Number two, mm. if you're talking, and I wrote this in the Jewish Chronicle, in a Gaza context, if you have somebody face-to-face, -face, which is how these surveys are done, if they have somebody coming up to you and saying, you know, like, like the questions, they're, they're, there's priming in the questions, they're either going to think, you're either an informant for Hamas or you're an, an Israeli collaborator and a spy for many of the many people in Gaza. Like, we've yet to crack the nut when it comes to finding a, a, a trustworthy, reliable, anonymized way online that people can share their opinions. I did an online survey in Gaza in, in, in 2016 and 17, asking for support for the air, for the Gaza airport project. And, and, mm. and, and that was done online and people didn't have to fill in their name. And I made sure each one came with a unique IP address. And I got 84% that supported having an internationally run um, Gaza airport without the question was to ensure that it is run without corruption or interference by the Palestinian Authority or by Hamas. Number two or three, people in the West Bank have not had to experience life under Hamas. People in the West Bank, despite the, 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 the settlements, despite the military occupation, despite the horrible, horrible, horrendous stuff they go through, they're still light years ahead of Gaza when it comes to quality of life, when it comes to electricity and availability mm. of water, mm. when it comes to leaving. You can easily leave the West Bank through Jordan, whereas Gazans leaving Gaza through Egypt, you have to pay bribes of, you know, three to seven or eight thousand dollars at times. You have wow. to hope for a visa. You have to the, the, like the ability to leave Gaza. Most Gazans have not left the Strip um, ever in their life. Wow. In the West Bank, they can leave. They have better access to 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 the just the economic prospects are significantly better. It's like 
and, and, and even just from a social kind of religious point of view, like Romola has a, a nightclub, bro. Like, like, like you can access liquor anywhere you want in the West Bank. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, Ga- in Gaza, Hamas, the equivalent of Hamas morality police, tried to force women to not leave Gaza single w- alone without some kind of a guardian approval. Or when a man and a woman are in a public place and they're just like literally out in the open during the daytime, just having a coffee at a, at a coffee shop, Hamas yeah. morality ap- police will approach them and ask, are you married? What are you doing here together? Oh, well, wrap it up. You know, but that happened to my own friend, my female friend, multiple times where they're oh. literally just having a casual conversation with someone who's helping them leave the Gaza Strip. And Hamas comes and is like, and, and tells the guy, would you like it if your sister, well, that's their state, that's what the Islamist thing, this is Islamist in Gaza or every, anywhere else. When they want to mm. impose restrictions on women, they always try to twist, they think they're clever. They try to twist your hand and say, would you like it when if your sister went out with a, a dude and just sat at a coffee shop with it. And I'll be like, the, I was like, uh, yeah, she's having a coffee. Like she's not doing anything like, like what's wrong with that? Or like Hamas, for example, at different times tried repeatedly to prevent women from smoking hookah, uh, the shisha in public in, in Gaza. Like people, this might sound petty for some people, but take so many different daily aspects of living under Hamas the, I'm sorry, with utmost respect and regard for my beloved brethren in the West Bank, they've not had to experience that, okay, and live with the consequences of Hamas's, you know, armed struggle. Yeah, so I mean, they, it, it's, I, it, it, it's like it, it does kind of. I mean, the only the only experience I ever had with anything like that is is COVID, right? And everyone would everyone freaked the fuck out during COVID, so. COVID in the sense that you had restrictions on things that you, you could just move and do out of your house. Right. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know it's not the same thing. One is religiously motivated and one, and you know, one wasn't, but still the, the, the end result is the same, right? It's a, a restriction on, on, on your freedom and nobody likes that period. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And, and, and finally, um, Hamas actually takes an active has historically taken an active role. Anytime they hear of a survey, or of a poll, or of any kind of an initiative to gauge public opinion. And I mm-hmm. know this from people who were literally tortured by Hamas. I know this from people who <clears throat> were part of these groups. Hamas, there's a reason why Hamas, Hamas are masters of organizing. Same with the Muslim Brotherhood after the Egypt's 2011 revolution. Like the Muslim Brotherhood are brilliant organizers. That's why mm-hmm. the Islamists are always so, they're disciplined, they're methodical, they work hard. They don't need women or booze or, you know, uh, vice. They just like, bruh. So Hamas organized legions of cyber warriors, Facebook groups, WhatsApp mm. groups, email lists, congregations that meet weekly to discuss ways in which they can bolster their public messaging. They have armies of propagandists, media personalities communication experts and specialists. So like when, and I'm not necessarily saying this happened specifically in this particular case, but when Hamas learned of any attempt to gauge public support 
by external parties or even Palestinian centers attempting to do this, they will mobilize their legions and unleash them upon these specific efforts to make sure that Hamas has an oversized presentation in these polls and in these surveys. Mm. That is a okay. well-known phenomenon within Gaza. It is not just me making this up. So between, between the sample size, between the difficulty of trying to do something during active combat and where they did it, between the meth methodology, between the ignorance by some of the respondents, between Hamas's well kind of thought out efforts to, 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 to capture, to, to, to push its people to participate in these events. I don't for a second believe that these are actually representative of public sentiment. That said, I will also just like tell you anecdotally, like forget, okay, let's put aside, let's put aside the, 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 these, these, these surveys. I mean, 2.1 million out of Gaza's 2.3 have been displaced um, in, in a variety of ways. 90% of Gaza's population has been displaced. Do you think for a second, if, and they're abundantly available online, you can look at the images, look at the where the tents, the wet, muddy, disgusting tents, look at the UN schools, look at, do you think somebody in a wet, muddy tent or in a school with 3,000 other people or standing in line with 200 other people to use a disgusting public bathroom or standing in a food bread line and, or being a part of a stampede to rush to get aid from a truck. Do you think those people are going to be standing there hungry, cold, wet, miserable, without any privacy, without any sense of safety, and thinking, gee, like, I'm not as like, solid, like, gee, I'm so grateful for October 7th. I'm really, <laughs> you know, like, I am just so delighted by Hamas. We really... We liberated Al-Aqsa Mosque. We liberated all of those prisoners that Israel is just going to re-arrest right after it releases. Kind of like happened with the Gilad Shalit deal. You know, most of them were re-arrested. So, like, but those are the people that I talk to. Those are the things that I see on social media in Arabic. Those are, like, that's my family, my friends, my contacts, my, like, my friends of my friends here. I have a network of Gazans that I talk to here in, in the United States and in Europe. Mm. Like, Everybody's reporting similar things that Al Jazeera Arabic is never going to capture. Like Al Jazeera mm. is going to show a lot of like different parts of the suffering, but it's going to be more of the like Israel bad. And I think Israel is absolutely responsible for a lot of the suffering. But again, I focus like, like you provoke the most right wing government in Israel's history by hope carrying out the worst single attack, single day attack on Jews since the Holocaust. Like, what were you thinking? Of course, this was going to be a disaster of epic proportions. And I remember even reading those social media posts as the infamous scenes of Gazan celebrating. I remember reading multiple posts on social media that said, oh my God, what did you just do? You just unleashed our, and Gaza as we know it is going to cease to exist. So there's this Western obsession, and I'm not saying I'm a, I consider myself a Westerner. Like I'm not saying Western to like be hipster or, or, or to be trendy. But like, <laughs> like, there's this Western obsession with like quantifying and and and, and objectifying and capturing like public opinion mm. in these like specific easy to digest surveys and polls. And I'd say 
look at the polls of 2016 and how wrong they were. Um, so if we right. in a free open society got polling disastrously wrong, imagine trying to do that in an undemocratic society that has been living under occupation and under war and under a horrendous, you know, um, leadership. So, so, so I stand by my opinion that these surveys and polls are incredibly unrepresentative of the true sentiments. So how do At we, least how, do, how do we, how do you think it's, it's, um, how do you think we get what we want and we get rid of Hamas and start rebuilding Gaza in a way that's good for everybody? Well, this is like perhaps the thesis of your message to me, right? Like the core yeah. of what we were going to like try to talk about is like, like, let's pretend that we're going to negotiate, you know, a ceasefire right now. Um, yeah. and, and I genuinely, I mean, like, I want a ceasefire. I want the war to stop, but I want it done. I want a negotiated settlement that does not allow a big picture Hamas to stay in power as it has in the past, but B, that triggers even if it's a thousand mile journey or a 500 mile journey or a 10,000 mile journey triggers political transformation in Gaza. And most importantly, that saves what remains of my family and of my people. Like I, sure. to me, this is not just some, you know, political, diplomatic, theoretical, intellectual exercise as, you know, some of the people on Twitter, I call them the Twitter Mujahideen. You mean, I, I to me, <laughs> I have, I have skin in the game, okay? Like, I yeah. actually think about this out of a desire to save what remains of my family and Correct. not, you know, because a lot of these folks, the minute the war stops, half of them are just going to disperse and find Move another to cause to, yeah. to, to, to latch on. Exactly. And I also think the top priority right now is to getting the hostages released. I talked to the family. Like, I genuinely think, and you can call me a shitty politician, I think Israel should pay a price for those hostages. I talked to families of hostages. I talked to a couple of former hostages, okay, who were in Gaza, okay? And mm. I'm honoring their request right now. We're not ready to go public, but we're going to try to do something public to try to humanize the hostages. Like, in the same way that I care, I can't claim to know what, they're, what the families of the hostages are going through because that's got to be one of the worst things in the world being stuck between a terror organization and your own government and military, essentially indirectly leading to their death. And, and directly in the case of those three people that were held in, yelling in Hebrew and waving the white flag, like the rules mm -hmm. of engagement have gone down the toilet. Like, I, anyway, that, we'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. I want those hostages released. I want their families to be reunited. What remains, and like, I think it should be a mad dash right now to save those who are still alive in Gaza, assuming that we can trust. And like, I go back and forth. I do believe quite a few of them may have died, but my concern by those, this info that was leaked to the New York Times um, or obtained or however, um, I think there might be a dirty political game on the part of Mr. Dude to try to make it seem like most of the hostages are dead. So therefore we shouldn't negotiate for a deal. Mm. Mass is not going to go for any deal that does not entail the end of the war because they're not going to give up their chief bargaining card. Right. Only to be annihilated by, 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 by Israel. And right. so 
I think for me, what I see as the only path forward is a political off-ramp for Hamas, uh, kind of made of multiple tracks. One track, and I've written about this, by the way, like this isn't revelatory, blah, blah, blah. One track entails having senior leaders of Hamas being granted safe departures out of Gaza. That might be difficult for some in Israel to stomach, but I look at what happened in 1982 when the United States kind of facilitated the safe departure of the PLO and Yasser Arafat after, mm -hmm. uh, after or out of uh, Beirut, rather, after the siege. So I look at that track. An off, a political off-ramp for the senior leaders. I think <clears throat> there needs to also be a political off-ramp in terms of, and again, I understand this might be difficult for people to stomach, but if we look at the FARC rebels and what happened in, 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 in Colombia, or we look at the IRA in Northern Ireland, or even the PLO and how they were, like, these are examples of political rehabilitation that whereby either the organizations renounce violence or they agreed to be part of a mutually agreed upon framework that can possibly allow them to reshift and kind of like reorient themselves or at least to split Hamas into a component in Gaza or elsewhere that is willing to engage in a political process. And if a division to like basically break up Hamas, allow some of them to engage in a political process to offer them an off-ramp. And then the third option is, and I've written about this for the Atlantic Council, is to figure out a way those like remaining Hamas fighters that have the military training or have the, the, the access to the weaponry to also find ways of, and those I actually think, some of them are gonna be ideologically motivated and they're irredeemable, but some of them, this is a job, finding a way to politically and administratively rehabilitate them. Because if, let's say Hamas, you know, has what, 30 to 50,000 fighters in Gaza and IDF's most optimistic estimates that they've killed up to 10,000, mm -hmm. you still have tens of thousands of Hamas fighters. And I just don't see with the extensive web of tunnels for now, even if you invade Rafah, I genuinely don't see a way in which you're going to be able to eliminate all those members. There was a closed off session in Congress in which the Defense Intelligence Agency gave a briefing of the, in the Pentagon to Congress in which they said Israel isn't even remotely close to eliminating most of Hamas. They've mm -hmm. killed, they've weakened Hamas, but they've not eliminated them. So I'm just thinking, I want to think outside the box. I want to think something that no one else has thought be, be, between those binary ceasefire and keep Hamas in place, or we can't deal with the hostages, so let's just go in and like just wipe out the rest of what remains of them, even though we know that as we pull out, Hamas comes back in. That's how I think. I think a multi-phase with the immediate focus being like, all right, we're going to release these prisoners for Hamas. Hamas wanted to have some conditions on the Aqsa Mosque and like some garbage like that. I think like, I think it's important what's happening on the Aqsa Mosque, but like Hamas is in no position to, to, to like, like for God's sake, stop 
you're getting us killed. Like, like, what are you talking about? The Aqsa Mosque? Like, you know, they think if you slap the word Aqsa, they call it the Aqsa flood or the Aqsa this, like, that's how they're going to tingle the emotional, you know, kind of heartstrings of a lot of people. Let's get a deal as soon as possible. Let's give in to some of Hamas's uh, 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 demands for a hostage deal, just like happened in, in November. Let's also immediately get pressure on Hamas through Qatar and have the United States pressure Qatar to exert maximum pressure on Hamas to get a deal going as soon as possible, but also present off-ramps to Hamas military and political leaders and members on the ground. Can they be rehabilitated and retrained? There have been some successful political rehabilitation programs of Islamists and, and of, of terror uh, members, terror suspects. Can they be involved in a political administration where they just become a professional, like the ones that were not involved um, in, in atrocious crimes against Israelis? Can these guys be allowed to just drop their weapons and go home or scurry about? Can some of them be hired? Can some of them? We don't want to make the same mistakes of debathification in Iraq, which fueled. Are you familiar with debathification? Whereby we wanted. So yeah. the United States wanted to get rid of remnants of Saddam's regime. And it said, no, no one who is ever affiliated with a former Iraqi regime can have a job in a new Iraq. The policy was maybe well-intentioned, but it disastrously backfired, as is recognized by senior U.S. officials, mainline headlines, like everybody says, debathification was a disaster because mm. it led to so many of these people having no future, no prospects, so they mm. then became part of ISIS and part of the insurgency, and then later on, by, but well, part of Al Qaeda, which later on mutated to ISIS. So it was recognized that when you deny carte blanche, deny everybody who ever had anything to do with a former regime any access to a new future, these people are not going to just sit there quietly. You need to incentivize them to kind of leave the horrible kind of past, if you will. It sounds like from what you're saying that you think it's possible to divorce the military aspect of the political ideology. And I'm not so sure. I mean, in my mind, they go hand in hand, right? Hamas is a violent resistant resistance movement that is Islamic, so-called Islamist uh, in nature. I would say right, that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, for sure. For, they call themselves Islamic, but they're very much so right. an Islamist group. Right. And... I, I think I'm I'm quite skeptical that that's feasible. But to tell me why you think that I'm I'm I'd be wrong to have that view. Well, if you look at I mean the members, I can both through looking at some of their 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 statements, through inferring from their by inferring from some of their past positions, and by just looking at multi-source analysis, if you will. The, mm -hmm. the leadership, the political leadership of Hamas in Qatar and elsewhere, <clears throat> they feel that we have a Arabi way, um, a, a Arabi word, a, like a, a kind of a, a, a slang called khazu. Like they're sitting on a khazu. It's basically like you're sitting on a pole. Like it's it's not a flattering imagery, but they <laughs> feel the political khazu uh, of what the group has launched. They feel that Hamas is potentially going to cease to exist or have any real 
political power on the ground. They have some presence in the West Bank, but it's negligible. It's mainly an ideological presence in the West Bank. They're going to lose all their presence in, the, in Gaza. And they're basically going to become rendered irrelevant and marginalized in the big picture. And so Hamas politically, I mean, that's who led the reforming of the charter in 2017 to like be not, okay, like we're going to more, we don't have a problem with the Jews. We have a problem with the Zionists, like trying to soften their position. Oh, well, we basically kind of sort of agreed to the 67 border. We don't want to push all the Jews into the sea, blah, blah, blah. Like that was their political attempt at like, all right, like let's moderate something and see what catches. And unfortunately, neither Israel nor the Arab world nor the United States took that, especially with the administration that we had here in the United States. Instead of like using that to slowly move the Overton window and keep kind of like almost push Hamas to politically moderate and to politically move its way. So what happened after that is Sinwar, who was a political leader, then decided, all right, screw this. We're not going to moderate ourselves. We're going to double down on the violent garbage. So he became really close. Him and Leif became the dominant parties. In, in, in he basically became the political link to the military wing. So him and Muhammad Leif took over Hamas, basically, and hijacked it and centralized all the power within the military wing, who tend to be far more of a hardline breed within Hamas. This isn't to say that the political segment are angels, but they are actually physically, politically, structurally separate already from the decision-making at the military wing. Hamas politically had no idea that this was going to happen on October 7th. Hamas politically didn't know the specific details of what was going to happen. That is pretty much a fact. They knew that something is on the horizon whereby the group possesses some capabilities that are going to enable it to do a massive operation. But for operational security, and most importantly, because a lot of the right-wingers, or the, the, the hardliners, I should say, within Hamas's military wing, don't trust the political leadership because they don't feel that the political leadership is either competent or they worried that the political leadership might be willing to make a deal that sidelines the significance of the Qassam brigades. So I, I'm not trying to overstate it per se, but I'm saying there's definitely an opening there where Hamas can be engaged politically and can be potentially offered a political off-ramp that widens that gap and breaks Hamas up. This also entails other risks, because if you break Hamas up, you're going to have potentially other mutations that are far more deadly emerge. But, but, but basically, I would argue that the strategy of the IDF in Gaza and the way that they've been conducting this war, I mean, you're going to have endless recruits if you don't quickly engage in a political process to kind of launch the transformation of Gaza. And that takes two to multiple parties, two to tango per se, but that's going to be, that's going to have to entail Hamas politically, at least initially agreeing to some kind of a political process. So I know that's unsavory. That... I know we want to destroy Hamas, and I believe in weakening Hamas militarily. I genuinely do. But I think that short term, I think that's not going to 
fundamentally transform Gaza or prevent the group from reconstituting. And do you think that any kind of leadership at the end of the day in Gaza, perhaps even of, of all uh, Palestinian society, has to be religious in nature? Do you think that that would speak most fundamentally to the majority of the population? Not in the slightest. I mean, I would say, mm. they, I mean, I've seen Gaza being Islamized, even secular Fatah members over time, just because mm -hmm. of the environment, becoming more and more religiously inclined, if you will. And I'm mm. very like, I mean, Gaza is a, is a Muslim society, but there are also a lot of secular voices and a lot of, like, it's fine if God, like, and, and like, I have no problem whatsoever with the religious dimension of the society. What I have mm -hmm. a problem with is the religious dimension of the resistance project, the Palestinian national project, and the aims and the aspirations of what a free Palestine and a free and prosperous Gaza would look like. That's the issue. So I don't think that's what would make, if what you're asking, like, I don't think the religious dimension is what would make a political transformation more likely or what would make leaders in Gaza agree to a political process. That I, I don't believe that's what would, it'll take. I think it just has to be a clear pathway for many people to feel that they can be involved in the future of Gaza. If you have, you know, tens of thousands of people that you're just going to condemn to nothingness in perpetuity in Gaza, that is a recipe for disaster and further incitement and further insurgency. But then why do symbols like Al-Aqsa, why do those resonate with, with, let's just say, yeah, Palestinian society? Is that, is that not a religious symbol? Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, and it, it's very important, but, but like mm -hmm. Al-Aqsa, I would say, is very much so part of like the broader emphasis of Jerusalem, kind of as this desired kind of hub slash capital, if you will, uh, East Jerusalem, capital of a future mm -hmm. Palestinian state. There's definitely a religious significance, but there's also like, I mean, it's important from like, you know, a, a historical, like, Christian background. I mean, there are not only a lot of like Christians in Palestine, especially in the West Bank, but like, like I would say it's more broadly about Jerusalem. Al-Aqsa is a symbol. It's a symbol also of perseverance because there have been right-wing Zionists that want to demolish Al-Aqsa. There was the infamous mm. burning of the mosque. There was the like folks who would try to deny any Palestinian or Muslim connection to, and, and they'll use examples of, oh, well, it's only from a few hundred years ago, blah, blah, blah. But then the Muslim world will tell you, I mean, before Mecca was the destination for prayers, Al-Aqsa was the first destination, um, the, the first, you know, of one of the, the three holiest sites in Islam. Mm -hmm. That's important. And, 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 but, but, but that's important independent of Hamas. And their Islamism, you follow? Like, that was important during Arafat. And Arafat, the, the, it was called the Aqsa Intifada in 2000. Arafat triggered it because of Ariel Sharon's visit on, 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 in, in September of 2000. Ariel Sharon with, uh, with a, a, a large entourage in a provocative manner entered the Aqsa Mosque and the area, the Haram al-Sharif, they call it, 
um, the upper tier, if you will, of, of the Temple Mount. So even Arafat launched and, and, and triggered essentially an intifada that got out of control because of the holy symbolism of the Aqsa, but also it was a symbol of, of kind of like a future Palestinian statehood and, and Palestine's connection with the broader world, if you will, because of the holiness of, of Aqsa. So, so make no mistake about it. If provocations and, and or, or, or if the status quo is significantly altered in Jerusalem, or, or if these attempts to evict Palestinian families um, forcibly or displace them, that will have an absolutely destabilizing effect in the future on Gaza. However, I will also tell you that as much as Gazans care about Jerusalem and Aqsa, they have just big picture of the last, you know, 18 years since Hamas, and especially the last four months, they're like, guys, we can't, we're sorry, we can't do anything about Aqsa. Mm. Aqsa is not going to be protected or resolved, or, 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 or that issue is not going to be resolved by us launching rockets or October 7th or, or, or seeking to turn Gaza into a citadel. So, like, I genuinely think there can be political framing on the Palestinian leadership side and in and, and other ways whereby, yes, we have a connection to Aqsa, yes, we have a connection to, to Jerusalem, but Gaza is not going to be a launching platform for resistance to improve the conditions in Jerusalem. That can only be achieved by mutually agreed upon steps politically and diplomatically with international pressure and support because there is intransigence by the religious right in Israel to give any sense of concessions to the Palestinians. And I think that's detrimental. I think that's wrong. And I think it's short-sighted. Do you, do you um, so what do you think would be um, the appropriate steps to tweaking the, the vision for our Palestinian future that, yeah, that, that's, that's constructive. I mean, what needs to change? So first we do a hostage prisoner swap mm -hmm. and I'm not going to sit here and iron out all the ins and intricacies of that. I think there are far sure. more capable, smarter people that are already doing that on the ground, but yeah. focus on that as phase one. Phase two is get what remains of Hamas to agree to a 15 year truce with Israel. 15 years of no conflict with Israel. And Hamas, by the way, explored that openly, publicly in the past, after the 2014 war. They thought about a five-year truce or a five-year ceasefire, then a 10-year. So, like, once we figure out the prisoner piece, get a, a commitment, this political commitment and agreement of Hamas <clears throat> to not engage in any violence, certainly make it specific to Gaza, Okay, make it specific to Gaza for 10 to 15 years. Number three would be to get a kind of, like, bring in an international presence into Gaza to immediately start addressing the security and the humanitarian catastrophe. I mean, we need, Israel has already agreed in principle to a seaport that can be inspected and where the ship's like a provisional seaport where the ships can be inspected by Israel and Cyprus and allowed to bring in supplies, aid, materials. 
We need drop zones, both centralized and dispersed, to bring in aid and to it, it, just to feed the population and to deal with the aid distribution and, 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 and delivery problems. We need kind of Jordanian, we need two tracks for security, some help from Jordan and, and, and Egypt to bring in security forces to help stabilize Gaza as the United States and the Palestinian Authority work together on standing up a small professional police force that is made up of not just people in the West Bank, but also of vetted Gazans. I have laid out in, in, in detail how that could, could take place, and we can use the USSC, US, United States Security Coordinator, which operates out of Jerusalem, that has helped train the Palestinian Authority to create a professional force. Basically, focusing on you can't have prosperity and development if there's no stability and security. And, but, and the, one of the worst things that could happen is what we talked about, Netanyahu talked about with um, allowing clans and families to take over Gaza. I mean, believe it or not, one of the things that Hamas did successfully is it broke the violent monopoly. Like some clans would have certain neighborhoods where it was the no-go zone for the government or for the police. And Hamas broke that up. Hamas made, developed a monopoly on violence, ironically, more so than the Palestinian Authority ever could have. Mm. So develop that ability to, 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 to make sure that clans, who many of whom have guns and weaponry, do not destabilize Gaza as just that disastrously stupid plan by Netanyahu would do. Um, engage the Palestinians on having Gaza become a model for a future Palestinian state. Tell Palestinians, I mean, and that's why I support recognizing Palestine as a state, as a state of Palestine, without immediately recognizing where the sovereignty and, and the, the like explicit territories of these places, but using that phased implementation, using a Gaza first model, where Gaza is kind of like the initial launching point for a Palestinian state. But we got to make sure, as Jerome Siegel said in his piece on foreign policy, Gaza first doesn't become Gaza last. Meaning? Meaning a Palestinian state cannot become confined to the Gaza Strip, which is a tiny geographical area. The West Bank is where it's at. The West Bank is where you can solve ending the occupation, solving the settlements through dismantlement and through territorial swaps is how you get a largely contiguous West Bank that can not only also become the second beating heart or even heart and brain of the Palestinian state, but that's how you address the right of return. You allow Palestinian refugees I don't, to, to, to come back in. I don't, you know, I mean, Israel's wall, I don't think is going anywhere. So like what Palestinians do in their state is up to them, but it has to be big enough where you can solve the issue of refugees once and for all, not through millions going back to modern day Israel, but through millions having the option to go back to parts of the Palestinian territories in the West Bank and in Gaza. So that's where Gaza first is merely a, you know, a one to five year, a, a two to five year process to basically focus on building institutions, building the infrastructure, building the, like the investing in the humans, the, the most precious asset of a future Palestinian state is the human capital, more so than the territory. 
So Gaza could become then an example for how successful Palestinian governance under the state of Palestine to be recognized by, that, that should be recognized by, by, by the United States, by Israel and the United, and the European democracies. <clears throat> and then negotiations could really accelerate how that would look like in the West Bank. We also would need an immediate, an unconditional freeze on settlement activities right now. Just as of right now, no more expansion of settlements beyond what's there. And most importantly, the Israeli border police, the Israeli police, and the IDF need to rein in the violent thugs that terrorize Palestinian communities, that burn olive trees and prevent Palestinian farmers from reaching their land. Chalas, no more harassing of the, and the Israel can do it like that. Obviously, they're not doing it right now. The Israeli government, I mean, they're not doing it now because you have Ben Gvir and, and Smotrich and, and they're, can, they're, 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 they're elks, you know, they're, they're, they're types in the government. So they don't want to make, the IDF can absolutely make sure the settlers do not attack Palestinians, period, end of story. So that's what would be needed on the Israeli side is to stop inflaming the West Bank. And I would also say on the Palestinian side, there needs to be a concerted effort by Palestinian leadership to also push for, in Gaza, I said a, 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 a 10 to 15 year truce. Well, in the West Bank, there also needs to be an end to any notions of an intifada, any notions of like, we need to stop, we need to pause, we cannot engage in violence, we need to renew our public collective commitment to nonviolence. The Palestinian Authority is nonviolent, but it is not a nonviolent resistor. And I think the Palestinians have every right to articulate a nonviolent resistance program in the West Bank, working with Israeli allies. There are a ton of Israelis and American Jews and diaspora folks who would absolutely support Palestinians nonviolently in obtaining their sovereignty and their rights. And this sounds like a lot of steps, but really, at the end of the day, I, I genuinely think, and finishing um, <laughs> on that sentence, I was saying, I'm a pragmatist. I think these are actionable steps that can easily be done. We need, I think, and, and I'm not saying this because I'm, I, I think we're, we're, there's a likelihood if, if we can work on the Hamas side as Palestinian leaders, to get Hamas to kind of come down from the tree, I think there's a chance that this could absolutely be a transformational point. But Hamas has to be sidelined. As I'm also saying, they have like if they want to engage in a new political program that is fundamentally different when they what they than what they've done, I think there should absolutely be discussions about what that looks like, as has been done in multiple conflicts in the other parts of the world. I also think that there needs to be serious political will on Israel's side to let Gaza develop, let Gaza prosper, let Gaza under assuming under this new framework that is not that we're going to do the citadel armed resistance crap. Let Gaza become a role model for Palestinian governance. My only fear is that if and 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 that's an open question. Like, will some of these very nefarious so the, the, the same nefarious parties in Israel politically that thought they could play a 3D chess game with, um, with Hamas, 
will they not want to see a prosperous Gaza emerge because that will show a role model that can be implemented in the West mm. Bank. And, and I'm like that, I think a lot of Palestinians and the activists that I see, that I talk to, and even the people that viciously attack me all the time, tell me that I'm delusional in thinking that, you know, Israel would allow Gaza to become this beacon and this hub of development and, and art and stability because that would force the West Bank solution, which is say, oh, look, they did it in Gaza. They can do it in the West Bank. I don't, as of now, I don't believe that to be the case, even though I know some people, no matter how developed, I think what will happen is Gaza will be developed and will be would be allowed to become prosperous, but like I said, the fear of Gaza first becoming Gaza last, a lot of those anti-Palestinian forces are not going to want to expand that Gaza success model to the West Bank if it means the end of the settlement project because they think that, you know, Judea and Samaria is the ancestral land and that, like, there's this strong belief that this is where we truly belong. This is where we truly came out of. And so there are substantial, powerful voices within Israel that may let Gaza develop and, and prosper in the ways that I am advocating, but may nevertheless stop that from being expanded to the West Bank. We should cross that bridge when we get to it. I think for now, we shouldn't just say, well, again, this goes back to like, everything is on Israel. Like we have no agency, no, no decision-making capability. We can't decide on anything because Israel, Israel, Israel. And I, I fundamentally disagree with that. I, I think we decide who we are, what we want to do on pragmatic terms, not on river to the sea, like not on the, like all the garbage rhetoric and, and the delusions that we've been sold for decades. We decide who we want to be and we say to the United States, we say to the Arabs, we say to the Saudis, we say to all these, all these, you know, partners and allies, not Iran and Hezbollah and the Houthis, actual real influential partners. This is who we are. This is what we want to do. Help us make it happen. I think um, so. Two things. One is um, there's going to be a political reckoning in Israel and that Lord knows how what how that's going to play out and how that will affect things. And second is um, just keep keep being you, man. It's it's great. Yeah, um, I appreciate it, brother. I appreciate it. Really, I, I know we should we should wrap up, but just to yeah. really a word of immense gratitude for you for 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 you know our conversations for the platform you're trying to create yeah. for being one of the first um, Israeli allies. Um, it's okay for me to call you Israeli, right? I mean, I know you, but you're you're you're, uh, you're an yeah. Israeli ally, right? right? Yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. That was talking to someone who's actually literally. <laughs> An Israeli with an accent, but she's been in the United States for so long. Although you know about Israeli, she was like, "Well, I don't identify as Israeli, even though it's part of my identity." I was like, "Okay, all right, like to each their own." I'm not, you know, sorry. So I shouldn't <laughs> just assume, I guess. But but you were one of the first folks to to really reach out and, and try to amplify my voice and try to amplify my message. Yeah. You recognize that you saw how regularly and still get attacked all the time. And, 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 and I just, I, I really have a special place in my heart for the folks who 
kind of registered that early on. And I, I, I have immense gratitude for you and, and, and your support. I mean, you deserve it. So I'm here for you, man. Uh, we haven't met uh, physically, but you're my brother. Inshallah, arms, too. Inshallah. Very soon. <laughs> All right, man. We'll talk soon, yeah? Thank you so much. Take it easy, brother. Good night, Kobe. Thanks, man. Be well. Cheers.